morning. Good to see everybody here, and glad everybody can see me again online. Welcome. Uh, we're doing a series here in Lent as we lead up to Easter called Cross Purposes. And today I put the Merriam-Webster definition of cross purposes on the screen, a purpose usually unintentionally contrary to another purpose of oneself. In other words, we, we kind of have this idea going on, and then we find out that, well, actually, this was the purpose all along. Well, it makes a big difference in certainly our attitude and how we see life, good things, bad things, uh, to see God's purposes uh, behind it all. And the biggest example, right, is the verses guiding us through the whole series, Mark chapter 8. We'll look at those, a few of those verses again. Um, when Jesus predicts, he tells his disciples, okay, you know, we're headed to Jerusalem, and when we get there, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise. And the first time Peter heard that, he said, no, this cannot be. And Jesus says, you're wrong. It has to be this way. Uh, turning around, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set on God's will or his values and purposes, but on what pleases man. And we have the same struggle today. We have our desires that often, maybe too often, are contrary to God's ultimate purposes. Now, I want things in my life to happen now. I don't want to wait to get to the Costco gas pump. Is it ridiculous how long that line gets? Or is it just me? It's just gas, people. I don't want to have to wait to adopt I don't have to wait to find a job, right? I want it to happen now. I want it to be fast. I also want my life to be easy. I don't have to struggle. I don't want that. I don't have to study and study and study so hard to, to get through school, right? I don't have to work so hard to be a pastor. Why can't I just get up here and just talk whatever I feel like this day and pops into my head this morning? No. Maybe that is what I'm doing, but who knows? But I want, it, I want it to be easy. And most importantly of all, I want my life to be enjoyable, pleasurable. I don't want pain. Not at all. So we want, what, fast, easy, and enjoyable. But sometimes, maybe for the purposes of God, our way needs to be slow, difficult, maybe even filled with suffering. Jesus says, the very next verses, he, he, he warns us, you could say. Then he called the crowd to him. He said, get everybody together, disciples and everybody. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Well, Jesus, that doesn't sound easy. No, it is not easy. It certainly doesn't sound like the fastest way. Nope. And it kind of sounds like there might be some suffering. Yes, 
There definitely will be. Well, that just seems so contrary to what we want, right? If God loves me, if God wants it, isn't everything going to be easy and quick and, and, and wonderful? Roses and sunshine and rainbows and... Hmm. Well, what's going on? Today, the specific topic is crossroads. Crossroads, where, where heaven meets earth. Where the purposes of God intersect with, with our own desires. What do those crossroads look like? How, how are we going to recognize them? What, what's happening in those moments? How do we stay on the right path? Well, I guess the easiest way to explain it is just to give some examples. There's so many examples. Let's start with the two biggest ones. So many, 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 many years ago, in a little town called Bethlehem, there was an incredible crossroads that had happened. Now, Bethlehem was not a big city. It wasn't a trading center. It's not the seat of the empire. It was... Exactly as the Christmas carol says, right? A, a little town. But in that little town, heaven crossed paths with earth when the Son of God and the Son of Mary was born. It was so spectacular that the night sky turned to daylight as the angels appeared and sang, Glory to God in the highest. Now, some 33 years later, in a much greater city, but very near Bethlehem, the city of Jerusalem, the Son of God and Mary's Son was crucified, hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth. Jesus took on, in a way, the sins of every human being ever. In that great exchange, as Martin Luther calls it, where Jesus takes on all of our sins and he gives to us all of his righteousness. What an incredible crossroads. Well, many centuries earlier, and actually, you know, throughout, throughout the centuries leading up to this wonderful event where God sends his Son and Savior Throughout the centuries, God showed us pictures of what this is going to look like. Now, in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies, okay, explicit words that say, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. This is his name. This is how he's going to die. He's going to die for the sins of all people, for the salvation and the reconciliation with God. He's going to be resurrected. But beyond that even... Okay, God showed us pictures of who the Messiah would be and how God's plan of salvation would unfold. And let's just go back to, and actually I'm going to show you some pictures, paintings, etchings, as we go along here, of the biblical pictures uh, that we're talking about. So let's go way back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, where Abraham has been promised that he would be the father of many nations. He said, God told him, your offspring are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. Well, it's been a hundred years, and he's had one son. 
And then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. Now pause the movie right there. What is Abraham thinking? What are God's purposes in this? This doesn't make any sense at all. Fast? (laughs) Took 100 years to get the first son. How long is it going to take to get the second? Easy? No. Most difficult thing in the world. Enjoyable? No. The most painful thing in the world. But play the push play again. And what happens? God spares Isaac and gives Abraham a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket to make the sacrifice in Isaac's place. A little bit further, still in the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph is betrayed and sold by his brothers into slavery. Pause. God, what are you doing to me? I am this wonderful son. I'm my dad's favorite. I do so much. I'm such a good person. Why is this happening to me? Play. Joseph goes into Egypt and somewhere and through all of this, even more up and down story, going to jail and getting freed, right? he ultimately rises to power in Egypt so that now he ends up saving his whole family, the brothers who had betrayed him, his father, his other brother he missed. He saved all of his people. Moving on, the people of Israel, they grow in number in uh, Egypt, remember in the book of Exodus. And God is going to free the Israelites uh, from their captivity. And ultimately, the, the final sign, the final miracle God performs is the Passover. And the very first Passover, uh, the people of Israel are saved by the Lamb's blood over the doorposts of their homes. You think, what were they thinking that night? As the wails of fear and mourning filled the land of Egypt at midnight. What is God doing here? And through the blood of the Lamb, their life is spared. And all of these pictures ultimately point us to Jesus Christ, God's Savior, God's Messiah. Just like the ram who was the substitute for Isaac's sacrifice, Jesus became the ultimate substitute for every single one of us, every human being, me and you. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve the punishment. But Jesus is our substitute. What an amazing miracle. Every crossroads is really a miracle. Just as Joseph was betrayed, sold into slavery, and yet rose to power, Jesus was betrayed by his friends condemned by his own people, yet ultimately raised in power. So much power, in fact, that he can now save everyone. And as the Lamb's blood who saved the Israelites on the first Passover, uh, so the blood of the Lamb of God covers us and protects us from the angel of death, gives us eternal life.
There's one more picture I want to share with you because it's, uh, it's a story that Jesus references in our gospel reading this morning, John chapter 3. Now, many of you have uh, been on road trips before, long road trips, and maybe you've endured some of the complaining that comes along with these long trips. Maybe you've been a part of the complaining at some point in your life. I don't know. Uh, There's a little funny cartoon here where the Israelites are going, he keeps stepping on my ankles. She's looking at me. Are we there yet? And Moses, fed up, pipe down, or I'll turn this exodus around so fast it'll make your head spin. See him reaching back in the back seat with the smack, smack. Now, they complained. They complained against Moses. They complained against God. Let's, let's remember the context there. They're in the middle of the desert. Forty years they end up being wandering in the desert. And this isn't like a pretty desert like the Sonoran Desert. This is a barren wasteland like California. Sorry. It's true. It's true. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. Ugly desert. Ugh. They are, okay, so first they're, they're hungry, obviously. They're hungry. So, God, we're hungry. We're hungry. Can you stop and get a snack? And so God provides them with bread in the form of manna that just appears every morning when they wake up. Amazing. Heaven crossing paths with earth. They think, wow, look at that. And then they get tired of eating manna all the time. Manna, manna, manna. Can't we have something else? I'm so tired of eating manna. So God provides meat in the form of quail that just fall from the sky again every day. Man and quail, man and quail. God provides, in the middle of this desert, water gushing from rocks. Now, how could they miss all of these crossroads between heaven and earth? These moments in their life where God so clearly intervened. There's no other explanation for these things. God's hand was apparent in providing for them and protecting them. And yet here they are still complaining. But again, they're not just complaining against Moses, they're complaining against, against God. And so God gets their attention by sending poisonous snakes. Ugh. The only good snake is a dead snake. You're correct, sir. But these are even worse. These are poisonous snakes. And so people are getting bitten and they're dying. And so the people realize, whoa, we've messed up here. Moses, please go tell God we're sorry. And so Moses uh, appeals to God, repents, and God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. Make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, hold the pole up in the air, and now whenever anyone is bitten by the snake, they can look up to the pole and they'll live. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Any health professionals in the house? How does that work? Well, it's called faith in what God says, right? It's called faith in God's purposes, whether I understand them or not. So sure enough, when people were bitten by the snake, and in faith they looked up to this bronze serpent on the pole, they, they lived. It's amazing. Now you and I... Still today, we struggle with the same poison of sin, just as deadly as the venom in those snakes. 
We feel the bite of sin when we argue and fight with our family and friends. We feel that bite of sin when we want to hurt just like we've been hurting. We feel the bite of sin when we refuse to forgive. Jesus, referencing this story in John chapter 3, he says this is the picture of the ultimate salvation of all people. He says, as the Son of Man is lifted up, I'm sorry, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. John 3, 14. That's a good riff. I like that blues riff. So the Son of Man will be lifted up. This is the ultimate picture right, of God's plan of salvation now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you, I don't even know if you realize this. In John chapter 3, this is 14. You know verse 16, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The reason that verse is so famous, anybody remember, uh, I don't see it much anymore, well, nobody, there's no fans in the stands today, but you remember going, seeing in the end zone or seeing out in left field, John 3.16 poster, people would hang up and stuff. That verse is so famous because it is so clear. It is so to the point. For God so loved the world, every single one of us, that he gave. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him, just looks up to him and trusts God's plans and purposes, will not die, but instead will have eternal life. And this is why Desert Foothills, our church, our preschool, all of our ministries here, today we stand at a crossroads and I don't mean metaphorically. I don't mean, well, as we look to the future and look at our ministries and our facilities and our staffing. I mean literally. Desert Foothills is the crossroads where heaven meets Scottsdale. God comes down to be with us in his word and sacraments. How could we miss all of those miraculous events in our lives, in our church life, where we see God's hand? Look back at your life. Think in your own life. How many times has God provided for you? No other explanation. God took care of that. Where God's hand has protected you. Wow, that was a close call. I can't believe I didn't get. How can we overlook those things? How can we so easily forget and end up complaining? My life is too hard. This is taking too long. This hurts too much. Now, good thing about being a Lutheran Christian is that we call a thing what it is. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Listen. If you lose your health, that is a bad thing. I'm not saying that's good. If you have a broken relationship, that is a bad thing. It's not, nothing, nothing good about that. Uh, if you're struggling to find a job, that's 
That's a bad situation to be in. But here's what I'm saying. Through those bad situations in our life, God is working out some greater purpose that we cannot comprehend. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know the effect of the cause that's happening right now. The effect may not even come in our generation, ultimately, in God's great design. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's more to this life than this life. Right? If this life is all there is, then yeah, all we want is for it to be fast, easy, and pleasurable. Right? That's the ultimate good. That's the ultimate hope we could have. But if me having to wait or if me having to do something that's difficult or even if I have to suffer, if it is for the greater good, it is for God's purposes, so be it. May God receive the glory and continue on through it all. Again, each and every one of us, a member of the body of Christ, think of that, billions, billions of Christians all around the world, members of this body of Christ here on earth where heaven intersects with earth every time we say, I forgive you. Heaven intersecting with earth every time we encourage somebody, every single time we give a little bit of our, our time help our neighbor carry the groceries into our house. Everything that we do in the name of the Lord is a moment where people are experiencing a picture, just a picture, sneak preview of things to come, right? A paradise, the glories of heaven. Amen. All right, let me pray. We'll have communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the great love that sent your Son in our place place of great pain and suffering. We thank you for giving us that incredible gift out of, out of an abundance of love for us. We pray that you would grant us patience, steadfastness of faith as we journey through this life. Help us to remember and be thankful for every moment when you've reached into our lives to protect and provide and give us those opportunities to share that gospel with other people, bringing a little taste of heaven into their life as they receive forgiveness, peace, maybe joy, encouragement. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.